Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Pastor here at Simple Church. First things first, if you are our guest here for the very first time, uh, come on congregation, can we show our guests some love and we'll show them that they are welcome here. We appreciate you being here. We hope that uh, as a first time guest that you were uh, given, you were directed and you were, you were greeted and loved as you came in and then that somebody got you to our Connect Center here, which is just outside this door for your free t-shirt. That's what we do. We give a free t-shirt to you. In fact, Tab, do you mind standing and showing everybody here? She's got the shirt on. I'm going to make her model it. Stand up, turn around. There it is. Woo! That's our free T-shirt. Thank you so much. And, uh, and we would love to bless you with one of those. So if you didn't get one on the way in, make sure you stop. It's just outside the door on the left and say, I'd like my free T-shirt. And we just hook you up. So we are in the, we're actually at the end of a series called Three Things We Love About Summer. And uh, this is not my normal Sunday morning attire. In fact, we, we dress, I'm dressing this way. And I said, hey, to my team, I'm going to wear board shorts and flip-flops because it's summertime. And how many of y'all know that uh, summer in Ohio has so far been very mild? And to be beach-minded or some other place-minded is a wonderful thing. And so I've said, I'm going to wear my, my board shorts and flip-flops so I can pretend like I'm on, on the beach because that will make me feel better, right? Because honestly, how many of you guys have gone on vacation yet? Anybody out there gone on vacation yet? And then how many of you guys are still going on vacation this summer? And how many of y'all hate these people because you ain't going anywhere this summer? Oh, yeah. I got you. I got you. I feel you. But during the summertime, we love the beach because there's really no, more, no, no place that's more, like, peaceful than the beach, is there? I mean, I mean, except maybe your shower, right? But if you've got children, that is, like, not an option for you because the moment you are behind a closed door, what you doing in there? Anyway, so the beach is wonderful. We love the beach, so... <laughs> So what we've been doing is we've been exploring these three things that we love about summer, and we've, we've really been trying to draw out spiritual principles from the things that we love about summer. First week, we talked about school being out. We really love school being out around here because of the freedom that it provides us as a family, and uh, we, the spiritual principle we pulled from that is that Christ has given us freedom, and what do we do with that freedom? And we, so we explored that topic, and, and uh, so that was the first week. The second week, we talked about family vacation because... Everybody takes family vacations, and how many of you guys know that when you go on family vacation, and as we decided here last weekend, the majority of us simple churchers are road trippers. We all go out on road trips together. We don't fly together. But when you take a family that loves each other, and you put them in a vehicle together, and they get to their destination, by the time they get to their destination, it is likely somebody has died on the way to their destination. You know what I'm saying? It's like playing the Oregon Trail, except nobody got dysentery and died, it was you killed them because of conflict, right? And so we, drew, we pulled out the, the spiritual principles of conflict. How do we handle ourselves in conflict is really important. And so we, we looked at that last week. If you want to listen to any of the messages, you can get our app. Go to your Google Play Store or your, uh, the App Store, and you can download. Just look for Simple Church Ohio, and that's got all of our messages on there, plus a bunch of information about how to connect with us, all of our events, everything. That'll be a blessing to you, so make sure you get the app. But, but this week, we're, we're looking at our last favorite thing, and our last favorite thing is the pool. How many of you guys enjoy the pool? Whether you enjoy being in the pool or at the pool, you enjoy it, right? 
It's like you just want to go out and you want to lay there. You want to get some vitamin D and consume it through your skin. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's a good thing. And, of course, we haven't had a whole lot of sunshine to do that here. But we, but we enjoy the pool. In fact, growing up, for me, we had a pool. To, to, the, to the, my earliest recollection of where we lived, we had a pool. Now, my parents did. They, they, um, I grew up really conservative Christian background. And we used to go to the public pool, but then they started playing this stuff called rap music and, and pop music. And my parents were like, oh, no, that's no good. Like, they made us sit down and watch a show called Hell's Bells, you know. And we had to, like, we understood that secular music was from the devil and it was horrible. And, and so I think in an effort to shelter their children, they decided to get a pool in their backyard instead of taking us where the rest of the heathens went. And, uh, and I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I'm pretty sure that was one of the deciding factors. And so I always had a pool in my backyard, which was fine for me because, you know, it didn't matter if you liked me or not. I was still the most popular kid on the block. My brother's out here and he can tell you it wasn't just me. It was him and my younger brother. We were the most popular kids because we had a pool and every new location or house we went to, the pool got bigger and bigger. Now, it never got any deeper than three foot, which now is like no fun. You know, I get in the water and it's like all right, well, this was great, you know, but anyway. <laughs> so, sorry, I've got, I've got all kinds of things going through my head this morning. Uh, so many stories, things I could tell you, but, but we always had a pool growing up, and what I know about being in a pool is that there's two kinds of people when it comes to getting in the pool, right? The, there's the first kind of person, which has been me all my life, is the dive-in. Cannonball! Like everybody that is still sitting there freezing, shivering, doing this around the pool, you know what I mean? Because they haven't gone underwater yet. I ruined their lives. Because I, I'm a big boy, and I jump into the three-foot pool, and everybody is soaked, right? And the waves do not stop for like 10 minutes. But anyway, let's see the here or there. There's those kind of people. How many of you guys are the dive-in kind of person when it comes to the pool? All right. Mainly guys when you look around this room, all right, because we're just not really smart. We just do. And so <laughs> the thing about diving in is as soon as you dive in, you're done. That's it. It doesn't matter if it's cold or not. If you come up out of the water and it's too cold, you can't speak or breathe for the next few minutes. <laughs> you can't even get help. You're stuck. But the dive-in method is really great because you're in. That's it. There's no, there's no work to do there. But how many of you guys are the tested out kind of thing? You put one toe in and you slowly ease your way in. Come on, let me see you out there. All right, there's a few of you. There's some of you. Now, now I've been the dive-in person. I have to admit this year, the weather's been so cold here in Ohio that the water has not had a chance to warm up. And I've become the, oh, no, that's no good, kids. Like, I spent all the time getting in my clothes. I, I'm, I'm ready to get in the water. I'm out. I'm out. I'll see you guys later. And I just sit there and watch them play. And uh, it's just been way too cold. But I'm typically that dive-in kind of guy. And so I have so many great memories that I won't share with you this morning because they have nothing to do with the message but of being in a pool. But one of the most interesting things I ever saw in a pool was that my parents used the pool for baptisms. And, uh, and it was just great because this baptism thing, if you don't know what baptism is, it's, it's something that should be part of every Christian's normal experience. And my parents were living proof of that because I, I'm sure they had got baptized in a church somewhere, but at, somewhere along the way, we had gotten involved with a church that didn't have a baptismal tank. Because you know what I'm talking about. They used to have them built into the stages, you know, and now a lot of them are just like us. They have horse troughs and they just kind of lay it out and... and Fill it up when they need to. They don't need to heat it all year round like some, some, some of the bigger churches do. I've seen some that are like, they're like full-size Olympic pools in the back. You know what I mean? Those are big churches. But, but they used to have these baptismal tanks. But my parents, they weren't part of that kind of church. So they invited people over, and people got baptized in her pool. And 
I think it's great, and because I think it's a normal part of, a, of the Christian experience, uh, I, I think we need to talk about it, because being honest with you, everybody does it a little different, right? They say different things, the reasons that they do it, what it, they believe it accompl- accomplishes, clear across the board, is really, really different uh, in these different pockets of Christianity. And so today we're going to take a biblical look at what baptism is all about as we segue from the fun topic of the pool to baptism. Here it is. That was the best transition I could offer you. Now, if you've already been baptized, don't check out on me, okay? Because I believe there are things in this message today that will challenge your heart and your life, so stay here with me. You may even be like me, that as I was doing this study, I got so excited about it. In fact, there was something I stumbled on this morning as I was, as I was just going over my notes, and my wife came downstairs, and she said, is this your first time going through this message, like hearing this? And I was like, dude, babe, you don't understand. Did you see this and that? And she's just sitting there. She just woke up, and she's like... I was so excited about it. See, there may be something in here for you today, I promise you, okay? So hang with me. Now, if you're here today and you need a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We believe that God's Word is important for your life. If you would just put your hand in the air, we have a gift for you to give you a Bible. But the verses will also be up on the screen. And we're going to be in Matthew 28 today. Now, these verses, this verse that I'm getting ready to read, this is Jesus. He's getting ready to talk about baptism. But when you read your Bible, they have these, if you have the the nicer kind of Bible, I guess I want to say, You'll see that when Jesus speaks, the letters are in red. And in this situation, when you read your Bible, these letters will be in red because this is Jesus talking here, okay? And uh, these are the last words that he has to say to his disciples before he ascends. And Jesus came to earth. He lived. He died a brutal death and rose from the dead, spent 40 days walking with his disciples and doing miracles among them. And then he's like, deuces and duck lips, I'm out. He's like, I got to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and be here with you. And so this is Jesus just before he gives the peace sign and heads up to heaven, okay? It's Matthew 28, 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, these are his last words, and we all know that somebody's last words are usually things that resonate inside of us, right? Especially when they're a command like this. You're like, what do I need to do? Well, what did Jesus say last? Did he tell you to do anything else? Go do that thing, right? And so he says, go make disciples. What are disciples? Around here, we understand that disciples, that's kind of a a biblical word, but what it really means is apprentice, right? There's a master and apprentice. There's somebody that knows what to do, and you got to learn from them, you know, on-the-job training. This is what we're doing. Jesus is leading us, and we follow him. So we understand what that word disciple means, really, apprentice, okay? And so he's telling them, go and make disciples. In other words, go make other people that will follow me as you have followed me. Go make disciples and baptize them. That's what you do. That's that's what he's called us to do. And so uh, Jesus says those things. And and it's really important because when you think about somebody's last words, like let's just do a test here to see if you remember them. Somebody's last words, let's go with Jack and Rose from the movie Titanic. What was Rose's last words to Jack? I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. And And then what does she do? She lets go. There was room on that float. That's all I'm saying. She could have put that boy on there. But we remember last words, right? And when they're important, when they're commands, they resonate with us and they they still guide us through to this day. So I would say that we don't get to excuse ourselves from from baptism simply because we don't understand it. There's a lot of people who say, well, I don't understand, so I'm not going to do it. Well, let me give you a little history lesson. Let's remove that excuse today. Let's let's actually get real with Jesus and, and remove some barriers to why we... We, we, we hesitate to do this. And here's a little history lesson on it. Now, what you need to know is that Jewish tradition in the Old Testament, 
there were, they were given the law, right? And the Jewish people knew, and God knew, that people were going to come to them and see Yahweh, see the work that he had done for them, and they were going to say, your God is for me. Because the people all around the Jews during the Old Testament times were people that served other gods. They would have multiple gods, whereas the Jews had one, and they believed that theirs was the only God, which, is, of course, is accurate and correct. But when people came to them and they would learn of that, they would say, look at what your God has done for you. Look at what he's doing in you and through you and for you. And we want to join that. And so if you were to join, the Jews had a process for this. There was a few things they believed you needed to do according to their law and to their tradition. Okay, The very first thing that you needed to do if you wanted to convert to Judaism, which is what they call that, being a Jew, the first thing you needed to do was something they called circumcision. How many of you are thankful that medical science takes care of that for us today? That is not something you need to do in order to come to Jesus, okay? That's not even on the plate. But that was something they had to do. I can see families going and the women saying, we're in, and the dudes being, we're out, gone. Unless you don't understand what circumcision is, have a conversation with me later. The second thing is, they said that you would need to learn our law. You need to memorize it, you need to understand it, you need to learn it. So that's the second thing they need to do. The third thing, they said, we're going to have a feast. The Jews celebrate everything that God has done in your life. And when, God, when you convert, you say, I'm leaving behind everything and I'm going to now follow Yahweh or follow God. That's, that's, that's what they, the, the Jewish name for God. If, I, if they said, if you're going to do that, we want you to have a party. And we want you to invite everybody to come. You're going to have a festival. And if you look all across their history, every time God did anything, there's a feast. That's why they still celebrate Passover to this day. And there's all these different feasts throughout Jewish tradition because they like to party. They're like, hey, we're going to celebrate this. We're going to remember this. We're going to build a monument to it so that we never forget what God has done for us. Next thing they said, there's this ceremony. It was a, it was a, um, that was displayed a washing off of the old beliefs, and it stood as a representation of their new association with, their, with the Jewish teaching. This was, this was their baptism. The priest would baptize them, wash them with water. The last thing they needed to do was bring a sacrifice, okay? Now... Those, if they did those five things, they were welcomed into the flock. They would travel with the Jews. And you always read there was the Jews and other people with them, right? And so these are their converts. And they're going with them, traveling with them, experiencing the blessing of God because they turned from their past or from the other gods and were now following God. Now fast forward through Old Testament times the New Testament times where Jesus is... This baptism thing has become the normal experience, except that, it, that it's not as, as you and I know it today. They were still baptizing. The priests were baptizing in the temple. And in order to go to the temple, you had to go through many rituals, but that washing with the priest would be the last thing that you had to do. Now, a lot of times to get into the temple, there was a tax that you had to pay. And so if you didn't have the money, you couldn't go. You couldn't demonstrate repentance. You couldn't be a part of what they were doing to be clean. And so people, there were people that were prohibited from coming because they simply couldn't pay. Or they didn't have the money or the livestock to make the sacrifice. And so during this time, this, this public repentance opportunity arises through a guy named John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't called John the Baptist because he was part of the Southern Baptist Convention. It wasn't that. It was not like Susie the Methodist and John the Baptist. He was called John the Baptist because it was John the Baptist and Rick the Bridge Builder. You know what I'm saying? It was like... Rick builds bridges and John baptizes people. They got their names based on what, what they did. And John was so well known for it that they called him John the Baptist, okay? And here's a guy who's, a, who's they, they claim, that the public claims that he's lost his mind. And of course, culturally, they would have to because who is John? Well, John is the son of Zechariah. Who's Zechariah? Zechariah is one of the priests. 
So it's likely that John grew up in the priesthood, going to become a priest, because what your dad did is what you did, right? And here John has separated from the norm. Now he's out and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. What did John do? John let everybody know, hey, this repentance thing is for everybody, not just for the people who can afford it. And so John is led by the Spirit of God to begin baptizing people. They called him a voice of one crying in the wilderness because John was, was, out, he was an outcast at this point because of his beliefs and what he felt God was telling him to do. John is living, he's wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. This is how this guy is living, and he's out screaming to people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, let me tell you what the Jews of that day, have I lost you guys? Everybody's with me. The Jews of the day, when they say repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or is at hand, what they would have known is that a Messiah was coming. They believed that there was a Messiah, a Christ coming who would save them. Of course, they believed it was an earthly kingdom. They believed that there was a military presence that was coming to set them free from Jewish oppression and people that, were, that would constantly fight them. And so when they hear John say, repent, he's calling them to turn away from their sin and turn back to God's way. He says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They would have known, hey, the Messiah is coming. You better get in line. And so John single-handedly paves the way for a revival to happen, a spiritual awakening to happen, because he took baptism. He took that, that ceremony, that, that symbolic moment out of the temple and made it available for everybody. He's baptizing the poor and the lowly in the dirty Jordan River. It's incredible. This is what I get excited about. Because here's a guy who's following after Christ. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And now baptism is very common. Everybody understands what baptism represents. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And he comes to John to get baptized. Now what you need to know is that Jesus and John are cousin. He knows Jesus. And it's not until this moment that Jesus approaches him to get baptized that he understands. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. He says, this is the guy. Hey, I've been baptizing you and telling you to repent, like to turn back to God. But this dude, this dude's got some power right here. And Jesus says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, you don't need to be baptized. Because the baptism he was giving was an opportunity to repent, to turn away. And Jesus had never sinned. He says, you don't need to be baptized, cuz. And he, Jesus insisted. And how many of y'all know when Jesus insists on something, he gets his way, right? <laughs> and so he insists and John baptizes him. Why did Jesus do this? Because he wanted to associate himself with the fact that repentance was for everybody. It was free. The, set, the last thing in that list of things you needed to do in order to convert was to bring a sacrifice. And Jesus, how many of y'all know when the story gets down the way, Jesus says, I'm that sacrifice. Repentance is for you. It's for everybody. He removed the barriers. And he associated himself with John instead of with somebody in the temple who was baptizing. Because it wasn't for everybody there. I get pumped. I get excited. So Jesus walks up and it says, uh, Matthew 3, 1, here's the verses. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And verse 13 says, And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So we see biblically there's where it happens. And immediately after Jesus gets baptized, after, after he publicly aligns himself with what John is preaching, it says in, in chapter 3, 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So here's Jesus' disciples baptizing other disciples in Judea. 
So not only does Jesus go and get baptized, but his disciples, his apprentices, his followers, people that look to Jesus for the way, got baptized themselves. And then what do they do? They turn around and they start baptizing other people. In other words, they were sharing the good news. They were sharing this opportunity of repentance, preaching the same message that John's preaching. Repent, it's time. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so what we see Jesus do, we do. Where he goes, we follow And baptism is no different. By Jesus' time and thereafter, water baptism was simply a public declaration of a new association. If I could break it down, wicka wicka for you, that simple. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of a new association. And so what it means for us theologically is this, and some of the pitfalls we need to avoid, because I know there's some some confusion about baptism. I'm going to say some things that may offend you. You ready? Here we go. Ready for offense. There's nothing magical about the water. The water that we baptize you in is not tears that I have cried as I have prayed for this city. And we baptize you in it. We didn't get them from gypsies or from Israel. It came out of a tap. Reynoldsburg City water, baby. That's what I'm talking about. There's nothing magical about the water. In fact, my kids, when we talked about baptism, they said, Dad, when you, when you get baptized... Do you go underwater and you see God? And I said, no, that's not what's happening at all. Maybe you all need to wait. We're not ready to baptize you yet. But it opened the conversation. They began to understand what baptism was about, right? So there's nothing magical about the water. The water does not lead you to salvation. Nothing to do there. The second thing is there's nothing special about the person baptizing you. Around Simple Church, we believe that if Jesus' disciples, his followers, were good enough to baptize other people, that you can baptize people too. If you lead people to Christ, it will be one of your greatest honors, I promise you, to baptize them. That's why we let mom and dad baptize their kids. I don't have to be the one to do it. Yes, I'm the pastor of the church, but I'm happy to let someone else baptize them. Somebody that would be meaningful to you. And I celebrate that with you. But there is nothing special about me. The same spirit of God that is on the inside of me dwells on the inside of you. The next thing is, and this is, this is, this one's, this is the one that may upset a few of you. There's nothing magical about the words that are said when you're baptized. And before you scream heresy, hear me out. The letters in red before Jesus left said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peter, in Acts, comes out and says, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. So there are two different camps that exist on this subject. Now let me ask you something. Is Peter greater than Jesus? Did he have a greater revelation than Jesus did? I think not. But I'm not even here to argue that. Jesus, when you study it out, when, when you study out what Peter was saying to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, he was simply saying upon the authority of Jesus. That means that when they would have baptized him, they would have said, baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Done. But that's where we stand theologically as a church. That's why we do it that way. However, I'm going to take out that magic carpet from underneath you, and there's nothing magical about the words. Because if there were, let me tell you something, I would have a little trepidation. I would be a little concerned about going under the water and trusting the person baptizing me to say the right words. You mean if he doesn't utter the right words when he dunks me under the water and I can't even hear them, I just got to trust that this cat did it right so that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be greeted by God and he's going to say, sorry, that dude mumbled when he got to my name and you don't get to get in. How ridiculous is that? It doesn't have anything to do with that. In fact, salvation is not achieved at the moment of baptism. There's people that will teach you that as well. Salvation happens and occurs at the moment you have faith, that you confess your faith in Christ, Christ, not at the moment of baptism. Amen? 
All right, so if you're still with me, if you're not too offended, let's, let's keep going. Ultimately, that water is not the saving point. We are saved by faith and grace alone. If water baptism were a requirement, if you want to duke it out, let's do it real quick. If water baptism is a requirement for salvation, how do you explain the thief on the cross? Here's Jesus walking with these guys. There's two guys, two thieves that are getting ready to be crucified with him. The whole way up, and even some time getting up on the cross, they are cussing at Jesus, cursing him, telling him, if you are God, you can get yourself down from here. They are making fun of him. But somebody, one of the two thieves, along the way, during some time hanging out with Jesus, has a change of heart. Literally. Has a change of heart and says, I believe that you're the Son of God. Remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and says, dude, my hands are tied up right now. I wish I could baptize you, dude. You're going to hell. No, that's not what he said. Why? Because faith, with faith, he had confessed Christ. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. So there's a few things about baptism that will make your life a whole lot better because it's just a response to what God is doing in your life. So, so let's, let's answer this question. Why do we get in the water? The first reason we get in the water is to follow the example of Christ. Jesus did it, says to do it, that ought to be enough. If you understand authority in your life, and Jesus is your authority, see, he is called Lord for a reason. That's not a nickname he's given. That's not part of his birth name, like mine is James Aaron. His isn't Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Lord is ascribed to him as a title. It gives him authority, and you need to understand authority. That when Jesus says, do this, we do it. When I was a kid, I understood authority. Even, even today, my children understand authority, because when my dad said jump, I was jumping, and in the air, I would say, how high? Because I understood that delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Oh, we don't like that kind of talk. Sorry, let me back down. <laughs> you guys want me to tell you a joke? <laughs> but if you believe that Jesus is the final authority in your life, we do it because Jesus said it. Amen? 1 Corinthians 11, 1, this is Paul talking. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, when we're talking about baptism today, that includes that. Follow the example of Christ. Jesus got baptized. We get baptized. He said to get baptized. That's why we do it. Second thing, to demonstrate your changed life. Look, we get into the water to demonstrate the change that has taken place in our life. The leaving behind of the old is often referred to, uh, and baptism is often referred to as a watery grave. Why? Because it is a burying of an old life. It is a burying of who you were, your mistakes, your past, the way that you used to live. It is that moment where you draw a line in the sand and step over it publicly in front of everybody. It's just a demonstration of what's already happening in your life. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is a representation of a new life that you get to live, a changed life. The next reason we get into the tank and, and, do ba- and, and get baptized is to declare our new association. To declare your new association. How many of you guys know that things are not official nowadays in this culture unless it is Facebook official, right? So like when, I got, when you get into a relationship with somebody, you got to submit that request to Facebook and say, I'm in a relationship with Shanda. That's my wife. 
and Shanda has to confirm it, and then Facebook publishes it. And as soon as that happens, it is Facebook official, and the world knows you are in a relationship. Until that happens, people don't acknowledge it anymore. It's ridiculous. It's like, I can say happy birthday to you in person, but if I don't say it on Facebook, then I didn't say it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what that is, but it's, fa- <laughs> but it's Facebook official, right? So, so here it goes. Here's the progression. Aaron is in a relationship with Shanda. Aaron got engaged to Shanda. Aaron is now married to Shanda, right? All that happens, that progression happens, and it becomes official. We're making a public confession of our new association. And it's the same thing with a wedding ring. A wedding ring publicly represents that I am taken, that I am for one person. I am loved, and I love one person. You don't need to approach me. You don't need to talk to me. We are not, there's, I'm for one person alone. That's what my ring represents. And it's this public wedding that we had to celebrate the marriage and that covenant that we have before God. And that public confession is important in marriage and in baptism. Because baptism makes the relationship public. It lets people know, I am going to live for Christ. Does that mean you're perfect? By no means. But it means you're in a relationship with Christ where he is Lord and you're going to follow him. Now, how many of you know that if I were to go out, if I would get married, have this wedding ring, but every time I got out of my car, I took my ring off and I set it to the side, and then I went to work, or then I went to meetings, and I went out and I did the things that I was going to do, that that relationship status on Facebook would change from Aaron is married to Shanda to Shanda has killed Aaron. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why would that happen? Because my wife doesn't want this relationship to be secret. How it, she doesn't want me acting like I'm ashamed of her. She wants me to be proud of her and be proud of my relationship with her. And so I, I think, I, think I, I would die if I took it off. I'd be in a lot of trouble. And it's the same thing with water baptism. We do it publicly to acknowledge Jesus and to let others know of our relationship with him as Lord of our lives. Matthew 10 says in verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Look, Jesus is laying down some tough love here, right? It's a little hard to hear this because he's saying, look, if you don't want to acknowledge me in public, then I'm not going to acknowledge you in front of God when you get to heaven. Like, he's not, he's not for this cold relationship or even a lukewarm relationship. He's like, you're either all in or you're out. That's, there's, no, there's no gray here. It's black and white. You're either for me or you are against me. And so he's saying, he's saying you don't get to secretly come to church on Sunday and pray to him in your bedroom. But when you go out into public, you deny him by your actions and your involvement with your old ways. You don't get to do that. He's called you to a life that is different, a life that is transformed. And there's a problem with that kind of mentality and that kind of relationship that says, At here I'm one person and out there I'm another. There's a problem with that because Jesus has to be Lord of all or he is not Lord at all for you. Because Lord, that kingly, that, that status, that authority that he has in your life with that title, he's either Lord over it all or not at all. That's Jesus' position on it. He's laying some tough love out. He's like, you're either in or you're out. So what I want to tell you is when it comes to the, to the swimming pool and when it comes to baptism, I want to encourage you to jump in. To jump in and be fully committed to whatever may come. Because I think, I think that you may need to be that way with your relationship with Christ. I think that it will require that. And that includes following him into baptism. People want to pray the prayer. They want to show up on Sunday. But that's, but that's where they stop. When it comes to being a completely submitted follower of Christ in their life, they're like, nah, I'm, I'm out. 
that's a little uncomfortable for me. I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want to, I don't want to have to serve. I don't want to have to be a part of it all. It makes me a little uncomfortable. You know, if, you, if I get baptized, I have to get up in front of a bunch of people, and I don't, I don't do well in front of people. I have to be perfectly honest with you. I have a problem with that. And I'm so glad that when it came to getting uncomfortable, that Jesus didn't stop when it got uncomfortable. Here's a God who went first for us. I'm so glad that when it came time to him being in the garden, he didn't go, God, I'm really having a great time with these 12. You know what? This plan is really great, and I know it'll save humanity. But can I just rest in your grace a little more? That sounds a little uncomfortable to me, to get crucified. To go through what I've got to go through. You know, the public shaming, the getting spit on, being beaten, having your flesh ripped from your body. That doesn't sound really good. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually out. I think you can come up with another plan. But he didn't do that. Jesus went to the garden and he said, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, if you can do that, this is getting ready to be uncomfortable. I'd rather not do it. But your will be done and not mine. When it comes to being uncomfortable with the commands of God, I think honest prayers like that are expected. Hey, I'm not really a fan of this. But this is what you got for me. Let's go. Let's do it. Dive in. Immediately. Don't test the waters out. I remember baptizing this one guy. He got, he got in the water, and the water was ice cold because they forgot to heat it. We were out at another church that day, and he got in. He sat down. He stood straight back up immediately and was ready to get out of the water. And the pastor friend that I was with said, look, bro, Jesus died for you. You can handle some cold water, so you sit down in there, okay? And, and he did, and we baptized him. <laughs> but but I, think, I think if the Bible told us that, you know, the first thing you need to do whenever you get saved is stand on your head and gargle peanut butter, that we need to figure out a way to do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm being honest with you. Like, I figure I, we have to figure a way out. To, how do we be obedient to this? 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Look, if you've been saved for a really long time and you haven't followed Jesus in baptism yet, I've got to tell you there's probably a, rela- a, a relational issue between you and Jesus. If the simplest thing like baptism, you haven't been, followed him yet, th- there, there's an issue because you haven't submitted to, to Christ and his lordship in your life. So if you're ready to jump in, let me give you a few tips that I'm closing. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, that is a reason to jump in and to get baptized. Around here, we don't baptize babies. The reason we don't baptize babies, and if you were baptized as an infant, that was probably very meaningful for you and your family, and we celebrate that with you. However, infant baptism, an infant cannot make a decision to follow Christ. We believe that the decision to follow Christ will lead you to baptism. But you have to decide to do that. Around here, we dedicate babies, but even baby dedication is really not for the babies. It is for the parents, the parents who decide. We will follow Christ, and we will honor God's ways, and we will teach this child. That's for the parents. Baby dedication is not for the child because people think that if you were baptized as, as an infant, you can live your life any way that you want to and, and still go to heaven. And it's simply not true. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. A decision for Christ has to be made. Acts 2.41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. 
The second thing is, is, is if you're getting ready to get in the tank, let me tell you something. Do it as soon as possible. There's a story of Philip. He's one of the disciples in, the, in Acts, and he's, he uh, meets this guy uh, that is a eunuch, and he, that's an important guy, and the verse goes like this. It says, Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and, and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Look, I think this is the kind of approach we need to live our lives with Christ. What's the delay? What's the holdup? Here's water. Let's do it. What's keeping you from moving forward? What's holding you back? If you're ready to do it, next Sunday we're doing baptism Sundays. That means after second service, if you have not been baptized yet, or maybe if you, you were baptized as a kid and, and you walked away from Christ and you want to make that, draw that line in the sand again, I did that as an adult. Next Sunday after second service, bring a change of clothes and a towel. No white t-shirts, please. It's a different kind of thing. We will baptize you after, I just have to say it, I say it to everybody, because if I didn't, well, you didn't tell me, and all of a sudden we can't film the baptism anymore, so if you, that is a gift you will love forever if you just don't wear a white t-shirt, we'll be fine. All right, but, but if you're ready to do that next Sunday, and also we'd ask you, take out your connection card, mark that, say, hey, I'm getting baptized, and I'm going to join you guys next Sunday. The last thing I'm going to tell you to do is a lot of you listening to this baptism thing, and you're going to call me up and you're going to say, Aaron, I really don't do well in front of the crowds. Can, can we get baptized like in my tub at my house with just me and you? But look, baptism needs to be public. It's public for a reason. You are publicly acknowledging Christ this way. And when you do it in public, you offer an opportunity for you to invite your friends and family to come and be a part of it. You say, why would I do that? Well, we talk about this all the time, Matthew 5, 14. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Wouldn't you want to demonstrate a life that has changed, whether they understand it or not? Whether they have ever been to church or not, or whether they go to another church or not, wouldn't you want them to come and to celebrate that with you? You need to do it publicly. Invite them. Let's celebrate together next Sunday. Let's pack this place out. Let's baptize more people than we've ever baptized. In fact, let's be here till like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon because we got lines of them. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, nope, I'm out. Oh, that's a, that uncomfortable thing. <laughs> I promise you, if we've got that many people, I will order pizza and we will dive into the pizza and the baptism tank. Amen? Maybe one after the other. I'm not sure. But if you've, never, if you've never experienced baptism, you maybe even have never seen it around here, we have a video that I'm going to play, and then I'm, I'm going to close the message. I'm going to close the service today. But I, I want you to see this, and, uh, and I, w- I invite you to join us next Sunday. Not only do I want to say that this is just like publicly to say that Jesus has done so much for me,
back. It's keeping you from being obedient, from submitting to the Lordship of Christ in your life. Take time today. Mark that connection card. Decide. Next Sunday's it for me. I'm doing it. And you can join the, the many people in this room who have followed Christ in obedience through baptism. Look, there's something changes in your life when you make a public confession of Christ. It's, an, it's a point of no return. It's needed. And I invite you to join us today or join us next Sunday. Don't delay anymore. Decide that you will make Jesus Lord and follow him in baptism. Let's pray. Today you may be in this room and you may say, Aaron, you know what? Baptism is great, but I, I got to do that first thing first. I need to begin a relationship with Christ. I've never heard of his love. I understand that he removed so many barriers for me to freely connect with God. Today, Aaron, I want to confess Christ as Lord of my life. I want to join in that life. But I don't know how, and I'll tell you, every relationship begins the same way. It's a conversation. We call it prayer. It begins with this simple prayer. It begins with you speaking to him. And today, if, if your heart is, you're sitting there in your seat, I know who you are. Like, I mean, I don't know you individually, but I've been there where you are. Your heart is pounding out of your chest. You find it hard to believe that you have faith to make this step. And yet faith is rising up inside of you. If that's you and you want to take this opportunity to say yes to Jesus I'm not going to ask you to stand up or say anything. I just, every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this room. I just want to see that you're here. Would you shoot your hand up and say, Aaron, count me in on that prayer. Count me in. Thank you. The prayer is real simple. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And you can pray this in your heart or you can say it out loud, but you've got to mean it. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came and you died for me. That you rose again from the grave to set me free from my past. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new and transform me. Give me your Holy Spirit. And teach me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray for every heart in this room every heart that is ready to make a decision, not just to, to follow you, but to follow you in baptism, to maybe even to follow you in other areas. As I've spoken about your lordship, I know that there are areas that come to mind. You say, I haven't submitted in that area. Lord, I pray that today we can make a decision to submit to your lordship in our lives, no matter whether it's in our finances, our relationships. Lord, in every area of our lives, our parenting, our, our marriage, on the job, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the strength that we need to say yes and to dive into following you completely. Help us do it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.